0: Good morning. good morning. Good morning. Good morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. God, God sends good, good news, news to the oppressed. oppressed. I'm Charlotte Hasselbarth, I'm your liturgist for today. We are very happy that some of you are coming in that we haven't seen in a long time, and we want a special welcome to a guest I see. Thank you for being here. In the name of our Creator, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heaven and earth. Grace be to you and peace. Whether we are old or young, whether we are first time or long time worshipers, whether we come full of doubt or confidence, sorrow, joy, in this place we are all family because the Holy Spirit binds us together. I want to extend a special welcome to any visitors in our midst and to those joining us online We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. This morning, we welcome to our pulpit Rob Trawick, who is our Presbytery leader in the Presbytery of Albany. We are glad to have you with us and look forward to getting to know you better after the service. (laughs) For those who are here in person, please join us following the service for coffee, refreshments, and fellowship through the doors to my left. There's a lot going on in the life of our congregation, much of which can be found in the announcements in your bulletin. The announcements are on this blue page. And uh, is is there anyone who would like to draw special attention to any activity that's coming up in the church? Excuse me. (laughs) I don't know if that makes any difference.
1: Her fault. It was just a little bit of a category. <clears throat> the choir will be singing at the prelude spot so that Father Christmas can make an urgent engagement elsewhere. <laughs> and I'm delighted to have Nina another playing the uh, viola for the offered here. <coughs> and now we're going to go into our gathering moment where we, we have our opening response, and then I will invite you to talk with someone near you about what is something you find to be a distraction from the purpose of worshiping God. So let me get to come here in the same car with you. <laughs> so I will leave us in six. some
0: Hope is assertive and peace is subversive, but joy joy is rebelliously provocative. How dare joy make its way into our dreary, despairing world? How dare joy show up in all its flashiness, even if it gets a pink candle in the Advent wreath? How dare we, in the midst of war and hate and despair, deep division and grief and violence, come together and rejoice. How dare some shepherds start speaking of good news and the heavenly host declaring peace on earth in the midst of a violent Roman occupation? But if they did, why can't we? Why can't we sing for joy that God is breaking open into the world again? Why can't we be rebellious against the politicians and the news anchors and the doomsday sayers that there is joy in the world? no joy to the world we light this candle because god is provoking us to sing for joy to sing and dance and laugh so hard that we have tears because there is peace and hope in this world Let us pray. God of joy, call us to sing, remind us to dance. Tickle us into fits of laughter because you are in our world and in our lives and in doing something new right now. Death and despair have nothing on you, and we rejoice in you, our Savior. Amen. Let us join our voices together as we sing hymn number 105 People Look East. Ha be seated. When we turn to the Lord in our hearts, God speaks peace to us. Trusting in God's faithfulness and steadfast love, let us confess our sin. Let us pray together. Our souls raise themselves, O God, for you to see see know us, us, love us, and and in your grace, break sin, and redeem us all. And we We praise you for this promise of the Savior that has echoed in the mouths of the prophets before us. The first ones speak to you, and whose words come alive in us today. And so, with the ever-ancient tone, we join the chorus of our song from Abraham to David, of salvation from our enemies, Redemption from hatred, poverty, hunger. And may we seek with eyes open to your promises and read with our own eyes the signs of the times and prepare your way and live through faithless sin and share the tender mercies of love and be ready for the darkness to break and the light to run through guiding our feet into your way of justice, of
1: truth, of peace. So be it. Amen.
0: Friends, clothed in garments of salvation and the robes of righteousness, let us celebrate God's love by sharing the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ be with you. listen to the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Eternal God, by your Holy Spirit and through these prophetic writings, reveal to us the mystery of the ages. <clears throat> Teach us to be faithful to your will and strengthen us according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. 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 The Psalter lesson is Psalm 85, 1-2 in 8 through 13. It is a prayer for the restoration of God's favor. Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. Selah. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in all their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet righteousness and peace. They will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Let us raise in body and spirit to sing Hymn 110, Love Has Come, verses 1 and 3.
2: The Gospel lesson this morning comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke, the first chapter, verses 5 through 15 and 57 through 80. Listen to God's words for you. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside, and then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified. Fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he used to be called John. They said, to her, none of your relatives has this name. And they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give them. Now, by this point, we skipped over this passage, but Zechariah has been struck mute. No one's heard him speak for some time. So he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And All of them were amazed. And immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue freed. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. God has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of God's servant David. He spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and remembered this holy covenant, the oath that God swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. God... We thank you for your word and for the story of Jesus. So it's good to be with you. I've had the pleasure of being in this building several times, but never in this space. And I thank you for welcoming me here. So we find ourselves somewhat in the middle of Advent at this point. And we're preparing ourselves for the coming of the Chosen One. Foretold by prophecy, wrapped in destiny. As we read in today's scripture, God has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of the prophets of old. And the text, as we just heard, it goes on to predict victory and rescue from the hands of enemies. And I imagine, given our history as a country, and our history as Christians, and our history as Presbyterians, that there's going to be a temptation from a lot of pulpits this morning to use this scripture as a platform for triumphalism, for celebrating our specialness. Because God chooses us. And since Jesus Christ has been chosen and because we are Jesus' followers, we have a tendency to bask in the chosenness of Jesus and to exalt ourselves as we lift Jesus up. Now, this idea, this rhetoric of chosenness resonates throughout our entire religious story and not just around Jesus Christ. We know of God's chosen people through Hebrew scripture. We speak of God's choosing sinners for redemption through our own Presbyterian doctrine of election. We even tell stories of God's particular destiny for this country. Sometimes we use this political rhetoric likening our country to a shining city on a hill chosen place, we're very familiar with chosenness. But all too often, our sense of being chosen, which is reinforced by our history and by our theology and even by our liturgy, moves very quickly in our minds to these thoughts of specialness. Chosen folks are special, right? We're singled out. And we have to have been singled out for a reason. There has to have been something in us to make this choice happen. It's natural thinking. Because this is our experience with being chosen throughout all of our personal histories. From the very beginnings... In recess, when folks are being chosen for the team, right? The first folks being chosen are chosen because they have something. And through our lives, we get chosen for awards and schools and jobs. And we get chosen because we have something. Because there is some quality in us that people value, covet, and need. We're chosen because we're special. Now, but throw, before I throw all of that specialness into the trash can, I, I do want to assure you, perhaps a little contradictor, contradictorily, that you all are special. Right? I got no problem with that. You are called by God to do something that only you can do. We'll get to that, I promise. But first... I want to think with you a little bit on what being chosen means in the vocabulary of our faith and how the the triumphalism that comes wrapped around chosenness is a little out of place. So let's go back to the scriptures. While clearly in this season, The coming of Jesus is the subtext of all the scripture we read together. That's what we're talking about. Our lesson for today is about another chosen one. And this chosen one doesn't come to us through the miracle of a virgin birth. He comes to us the way we all come into the world, through the miracle of a regular birth, albeit to a couple who have prayed for a child for a long time. The child will be called John, and we will come to know him as John the Baptist, and he's a regular baby, full of the wonder and mystery that babies bring to our lives, to be sure, but he hasn't done anything yet. He's a baby. Now, I'm sure he was a beautiful baby, at least to his parents, (laughs) because aren't they all, but He looked more or less like other babies do. There was no light shining around him. There was no aura of divinity. There were no angels singing in the heavens. There was an angel earlier on, but that one's gone. There are no wise men from the east bearing gifts. John hasn't done anything to be chosen because he's just been born. No one yet knows what his gifts might be. But chosen he surely is. John has been called to be a prophet. Why? Who knows? And before we think, well, that's a pretty impressive job, prophet. Good on you, kid. Let's remember that historically, in the tradition of the people whose story we are reading, being a prophet was a tough gig. All right? Prophets had to tell people often, things that they didn't want to hear. Folks often didn't like prophets. Prophets tended to get run out of town, jeered at, even killed. And we know that John's story isn't going to end well either. So when parents dream of what their children may be, doctor, lawyer, (laughs) teacher, rock star, prophet probably doesn't look like the best career option to Elizabeth and Zechariah. And there's the rub. When our faith teaches us about being chosen, it means that we're chosen to do something. We're called to tasks. We're called to responsibilities. And if we're being true to our faith, we need to remember two very important things about God's choosing This goes all the way back to John Calvin, and even probably further. First of all, much as we like to think otherwise, we're not chosen based on our own merit. Got to get rid of that one. It's difficult for us to take, but it's true. And we also don't get to choose what we're chosen for. So I want to start with that first point because it's, it's the harder one to swallow, I think. We're not chosen based on our own merit. I don't like that. It's so hard to hear because it runs counter to how we think the world works. We like the idea of people being chosen, chosen based on merit. It makes sense, even when there are examples all around us that should lead us to question that idea. But the cosmology of God is not a meritocracy. And we don't get any clues as to how God chooses or who God calls to what. We don't have access to God's grading rubric, if God even has one. Scripture tells us that God chooses, for example, the Hebrew people. Why? Out of all the peoples of the ancient Near East. Were they particularly gifted and holy? Well, by the accounts that these very people leave us of themselves, quite frankly, no. The whole story of Hebrew scripture is littered with incidents where these folks don't live up to their calling. They squabble. They turn their backs on God pretty much every other page. They repeatedly violate commandments. They grumble just like all peoples, just like us. They are a mix of the ordinary and the extraordinary with talents and deficiencies. They sometimes do their job very well and sometimes not at all, and yet they are chosen. We Presbyterians teach that God elects certain folks among us or salvation. This too is a form of choosing. And yet again, we don't know who gets chosen or why. What we do know, what we are told, is that God chooses us while we are yet sinners. Not because we've scored pretty well on some salvation prep exam. In short, it often seems that God chooses in spite of Not because. Our being chosen doesn't make us special in the sense that we have some inherent quality that no one else has. Being chosen may set us apart, but over and over again in our faith history, it sets us apart by virtue of the responsibility it places upon us. We are always chosen to do something. And we don't get to choose what it is. It's the second point that I raised earlier. It's central to our doctrine of vocation. God calls us to where God needs us. And there are times that we might not like the decision. Being chosen doesn't mean that I automatically leap to the front of whatever line I happen to be standing in. It doesn't guarantee me position, or privilege, or wealth, or status. We are a servant people, and we're called to serve. So with all of that context, let's go back to John the Baptist. Clearly chosen, no argument there. But he doesn't become the it kid of Palestine. He's going to live most of his adult life far from power and luxury. He'll live in the desert with a small band of followers, Not many people will hear his words, and fewer will listen. People aren't going to be dropping by Elizabeth and Zechariah's house to compliment them on John's latest write-up in the local paper. But even though John will not be blessed with some of the markers of success that we generally associate with being chosen, he's been called to important work. Meaningful work, necessary work. He's called to prepare the way for Jesus and beautifully to give light to those who sit in darkness. And so he does. And that same light shines even today, centuries later. So if we are a chosen people, we need to put away our pride in being chosen because there's no pride to be had. And we need to get to work because we've got work to do. We need to address ourselves to figuring out what we've been chosen for. And know this, whatever God calls you to is a necessary task. God doesn't call us to busy work. And know also that whatever God calls you to, you will be equipped to do it. And it might not be something that brings you recognition or praise. I don't know. But I do know that it will bring you fulfillment. That God has plans for you and none of us are superfluous. None of us. When we neglect our callings, when we reject them because they don't fit in with our vision of ourselves, something in God's commonwealth it's going to be left undone. You are called. You are chosen because you are needed, just as John was. I've seen a meme floating around the internet these last few weeks. It goes something like this. If you want to put the Christ back in Christmas, feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, Bring comfort to the sick. It's a good starting point. So this is my Advent message to you. Whatever task you are called to as a follower of Jesus Christ, who's coming, we anticipate eagerly in this season, it will be a task of bringing more love into a world that seems starved it might not be dramatic. It might not be world-changing in itself, but together we will open up cracks in the darkness so that the light may shine through. Amen. Pray with me for a moment, please. Gracious God, give us new names that we may be called by the name Truth. May we be known as Justice. May we be called Peace. These are our names. Not the given ones, but the ones that lie in our souls, recognized in heaven and by a world in need. Give us new names.
0: Our minute for mission today is to emphasize the joy gift offering. It's a denominational offering. There should be a picture on the um, screen. And inside your bulletin is a flyer which will give you more information about the Christmas joy offering. And we would hope that you would be generous. It goes to the National Church, and there are many projects at the national level that um, cannot be done unless a lot of people participate in our generous Thank you. King David wanted to build a house for God, a great and glorious temple for the Lord. But the Lord said, Do you not remember? I am the one who called you from the pasture and made you the shepherd of my people. I am the one who will build a house for you and your descendants forever. God is the giver of life and every good thing. God will build us up as the body of Christ. To be a shelter and a sanctuary for all people, let us offer our lives to the Lord. Let us pray. May be we known as people of truth. May we be lovers of justice. May we be peacemakers. God, you have called us to be people of faith in this time and place, called by a new name, ready to follow the way of love, born afresh in our hearts this Advent season. So may we offer ourselves to you
2: through the gifts we bring and the lives we share as truth-tellers,
0: justice-bringers, and peacemakers. Amen. Now is the time to share our joys and concerns. I will ask Meredith from the Tech Team, have we had any chat prayer requests? Are there any, right?
2: My prayers for an end of anti-Semitism and all forms of hate in our own country and throughout the world.
0: Are there any other prayer requests let us pray we have a special intention prayer of gratitude for the donation to CC's wool for our mitten tree we have a prayer to end anti-semitism in our country and world and a personal prayer from Marianne's brother-in-law and sister regarding medical problems and a violent family tragedy. Our Lord, hear our prayers. May we hold silence in our prayers for the world, a silence that comes from the sheer depth of feeling that we have toward the poor and the hungry. a silence that comes from the heartfelt longing for those who survive on so little because of an unbalanced world. silence that needs to be held for the pain of those who have died in conflict, for those people caught up in wars around the world. Silence that is no less than we need when we speak of the justices, injustices of the world because of religion and prejudice. A silence that holds every emotion we have at the news of God's becoming human in this unfair world. silence that waits for the word to become flesh. May our voices break through the silence, lifting our prayers to you and hear our voices united in the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, Father, who art art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, come, thy will will be done, on earth as as it is in heaven. Give us us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. debtors. Lead Lead us us not into temptation, temptation, but deliver us from from evil. For thine thine is the kingdom. And power and, and the glory, the glory forever. forever. Amen. Let us rise in body or remain upright in spirit to sing our final hymn, Hymn 100 My Soul Cries Out with a Joyful Shout. <laughs>
2: that God goes with you to comfort you when you need solace and to disturb you when you need a little push.
1: So go in the name of the Father
2: and the Son and the Holy Ghost to be the love of God. You are called, you are chosen, and you are needed. Amen. Amen.